Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, let's get into the Word this morning. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you're a good father and you father us well. Lord, I know there's so many families going through things right now. So many things assailing them. Lord, we pray that as we get into your word, that your shalom would be released to us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are the wisdom of God, Jesus. Instruct us this morning, strengthen us. And Lord, we ask for more than mere information. We ask for an impartation from your word and from your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The last few weeks that I've preached, Leif was here two weeks ago, so the week before and the week after, we've been talking about the love of God and how there are dimensions to the love of God. And the fact is, there are dimensions to your walk with God. And one of, one of, the, uh, one of the markers or one of the, uh, the defining elements of what wisdom really is, if you want to be wise, you have to distinguish you have to understand that there are dimensions to things. And the danger is, is that we think a portion is the whole. And the best case scenario when we think a portion is the whole, the best case scenario is that we miss out on the other dimensions, the other parts of that whole. And the worst case is we get into error and that we actually stand against some truths from Scripture. And, and so one of the one of the necessary things as believers is that we need to learn to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to be able to distinguish between truth. We need to be able to rightly divide and, and look at how this, you know, there, this is a, a facet of truth and this is a facet of truth. Let me, let me give you an example. This is something I toyed with preaching on this morning and now I have an excuse to. Uh, this will be an illustration of this, this thought. Uh, I've been, been thinking a lot, especially having life here recently, uh, it's been a long time since Leif came in and just talking to him and, and him sharing about uh, how the Lord has used him overseas, rubbing shoulders with kings and mullahs and all these people. I told Leif, I said, Leif, you are definitely a Daniel. You're a man who serves kings. Do you realize Daniel and Joseph, as prophets of God, served pagan kings? And served them well. They loved the men that they served. Daniel, who was thrown into a lion's pit by a pagan king, the first thing he says when the king says, Daniel, did you live through the night? He says, oh, king, live forever. I mean, this is a guy who really loved these pagan kings that he served. So there's this, this uh, model that we have in Scripture of getting underneath unbelievers 
and serving them well and loving them well and at times even serving their vision and so, so doing from the bottom up infusing a vision for kingdom realities into society and culture. And then we have John the Baptist and Elijah. John the Baptist carried the mantle of Elijah and both of them rather than serving pagan kings, confronted them. They stuck their bony finger in the face of those kings and told them, repent. They were overt about their faith and very confrontive. Now the question, and it's a very good question for us right now in in the political climate in which we live, which is scriptural? Uh Uh-huh. Do we serve Unbelieving people, even those who come against some of the things that we love and believe in, yes, there's a place for that. Or do we confront them and stick our bony prophetic finger in their face and tell them, thus saith the Lord? Uh Uh-huh, there's a place for that. And we need to understand the role that we're we're to play. Now, it may be that God uses you in one and then the other at various times. But there are, there's a place for overt, the Elijah John the Baptist expression, and covert believers. Those that go into the fallen systems and begin to influence for the kingdom of God. And so we need to discern what God's called us to. And here's the danger. Both of those have a precedence in Scripture. Both could be led by the Spirit of God. The problem is we tend to polarize on one or the other. And the Daniels and the Josephs look at the John the Baptist and Elijah's and say, dude, would you calm down? You're giving us a bad name. You're making things worse for us. You guys need to just get with it. You need to just dial down. You're embarrassing us. You need to walk in love. You need to walk in honor. Meanwhile, the John the Baptists and the Elijah's are over here thinking that the Daniels and the Josephs have compromised. And you need to get some backbone and you need to stand against this stuff. And the danger is is that we don't recognize different callings. And so we have a tendency as human beings to see one side or the other and polarize and reject the other side of things. And that is true across the board. This is just one example among many. And we're all that way. And I know I am. I have a tendency, if God shows me something, man, it's the whole thing. And so we've really got to be careful that we rightly divide the word of truth and that we leave room for various expressions of what God is doing. And a mature church can have overts and coverts worshiping together, running after Jesus together, praying for one another, blessing one another's assignment and not judging one another. Because we realize that there are various expressions. Tell you what, we need believers in government right now. We need believers. We've needed believers in the White House for a long time. We need believers influencing uh, national policy right now. And we need prophetic people that are sticking their finger in the face of government as the conscience of America and calling them on things. 
And what we need to know is we need to know our calling. Because one, what, what, what fit Saul didn't fit David. David tried to put on Saul's armor and it just didn't fit. And so we need to know what our calling is and own that thing, wear that thing, but we also need to bless other people to fulfill their calling. And we need to be careful that we don't judge other people by our own calling and require of them what is required of us. And that's a very important thing. And so this distinguishing, this rightly dividing the word, understanding that the portion that we're looking at is not always the whole, uh, that is very important uh, element of wisdom. If we want to walk in wisdom, we've got to be able to look at the whole and distinguish between pieces. Amen? Okay, so I say all that to say that uh, the... Uh, I'm trying to figure out where to jump in here this morning. Tell you what, let's do this. Let's turn to Acts 19. Acts chapter 19. In Acts 18, Apollos is leaving Ephesus. He's coming out because he met Priscilla and Aquila, this apostolic team. And by the way, it's interesting in the Greek that Priscilla's name is first and Aquila's name is second. Uh, and the reason for that, that's very significant in the Greek language. And what that tells us is Priscilla was the real mover and shaker in the relationship. They were an apostolic team. They were, they were being greatly used by God. And God is for women preachers. Let me just, we don't have time to get into that anymore now, but let me just drop that in there. And uh, so Aqu Priscilla and Aquila... Uh, began to disciple Apollos. Apollos was a man greatly used of God. He really knew the scriptures. Matter of fact, I have a hunch that it was Apollos who wrote the book of Hebrews. I may be wrong. We'll find out when we get to heaven. We don't really know. So a lot of scholars believe it's Paul. A lot of scholars doubt that it was Paul. It's written in different language, just not in Paul's style. And it very well may be Apollos because Apollos was very skilled in the Hebrew scriptures. But there were things that Apollos didn't understand. And he did not know about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Here was this man being greatly used to the Lord. We're going to find out in chapter 19, he had a following. He had, he had many disciples. He was raising up believers. But there were missing pieces to his theology. There were things that he was missing that God wanted to add to him. And Priscilla and Aquila come along, and they begin to train him in the things of the Spirit. And he moves out of the city about the time that Paul's arriving into the city and Paul meets some disciples and he asks them this pregnant question. Have you received the Spirit since you have believed? And that's a good question for all of us to ask ourselves. Have we received the Spirit since we believed? I got the privilege of speaking to a visitor this morning from out of state. And she was here about eight, nine years ago. And uh, she said to me, she said, yeah, I was here about eight, nine years ago, and uh, when they, my friends invited me, they said, they said they wanted me to come to church. She said, it isn't one of those tongue-talking churches, is it, where people are going to fall down? And they said, oh, no, it'll be fine. <laughs> so she came up front, people started getting prayed for, and one went down right in front of her, and she ran out mad. She said, I, I forget the phrase she used, but it was a, a uh, she was mad as, I don't know, it was, it was a... It was, it was a good phrase. She was ticked, okay, and uh, in good old Iowa terms. And uh, she said, but she went back to her home state, and about two years later, she got baptized in the Spirit. And now she came willingly back this morning. 
See, the question we need to ask ourselves is, have you received the Spirit since you believed? And Paul would not ask this question if it was not possible for that to be the case. You can be a believer, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, but not have received the Spirit. Paul is talking about the receiving of the Spirit externally as the baptism coming over them. And they said, they answered, and they said, we had not even heard there was a Spirit. So some people conclude, oh, well, these were not believers. No, it was very clearly these were followers of Apollos. That's why it was mentioned that Apollos didn't know about the things of the Spirit. In 18, Paul Paul intercepts these believers in chapter 19, and they don't even know about the Spirit because they're being discipled by a great man of God named Apollos who knew the Scriptures, Scripture said, were skilled in the Scriptures, but had some missing had some holes in his theology. He had holy theology. It's good to have holy theology, but if you have holy theology, you need to fill in the holes. And so Paul laid his hands on them and they received the Spirit. You receive the Spirit in salvation in the form of the Spirit indwelling you. You, the Spirit is in you at salvation. That is how we are born again. The Spirit comes in and infuses life into our human spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, They who uh, have bec- want, are joined to the Spirit become one with Him in spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. We are regenerated or born again by the Spirit. The Spirit is in us. But in the baptism in the Spirit, we are in Him. And we see this terminology, this distinction. And it is not just used of the Spirit. It's also used of the Son and of the Father. We are in the Son and the Son is in us. We are in the Spirit and the Spirit is in us. We are in the Father. The Father is in us. There are these dimensions to our walk with God that if we, if we look at just one statement as the whole, there are valuable things we miss out on in our walk with God. And so when we're saved, it's like taking a drink. The water, it's like taking a drink of water. The water is in us. When you're baptized in water, it's not like taking a drink of water. You are in the water. When in a drink, the water's in you. In baptism, you're in the water. Same is true of spirit baptism. We drink of the spirit, he is in us. When we're baptized in the spirit, we're submerged in him. We are in the spirit. He becomes the environment in which we dwell. And we're to keep on being filled. We're to live in that environment, that dimension of the spirit. And that's when things become alive. There are, there are dimensions of the Christian life that are not accessible to us, but through the baptism in the spirit. Now, I was, when I got saved... Uh, I came back to the Lord at 18 years old. I was a homeless alcoholic, came back to Jesus, and the night I got saved, I I was just giving my testimony Friday night at a banquet, and I told him, I said, I didn't plan on getting saved. I really didn't. I thought I was just going to open communications with him, you know? I was just going to kind of begin to talk to God again, and maybe we could be friends, but not running mates. And uh, I was in a borrowed bedroom, and I said his name, and his presence filled the room, and it was over. I mean, I, I just surrendered right there, uncle. <laughs> I gave up. I started bawling. I started laughing, and then I started speaking in tongues. I got the whole nine yards right there. And then I stopped and I thought, I better say the sinner's prayer. I want to be sure. Because I was raised in church, so I knew better. So I said the sinner's prayer. 
So I don't know what it's like to walk with the Lord without that, but I have friends that have. Quimby and Sandra talked about how they walked with the Lord for many years before they came into the baptism of the Spirit, and they said it was an entirely different experience for them. I'm going to have to take their word for it. I just know that I want everything that God has for me. And I'm here to tell you this morning, there's always more. Have you received the Spirit since you believed? If your answer is yes, I'm here to tell you, there's more. There's always more. Not only does the Scripture make this distinction between the Spirit in us and us in the Spirit, Christ in us and, and, and us in Christ, uh, these, these different perspectives on your Christian life, there's also this idea of our growing capacity to carry him. You grow in your capacity. You are enlarged in your heart to carry more of God. And often the way that that happens is God will put you through some things to stretch you. It, it's worth it. You may not choose it, but you, it'll be worth it in the end. And God stretches our capacity. There's, there, uh, Ephesians, for instance, talks about the measure of the gift of Christ. And early on in chapter 4, he said there's one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And in you all... Uh, and we've all, all been given the measure of the gift of Christ. And then in the end, he talks about we come into the full measure of the gift of Christ. The fullness of God. So there are measures and there's fullness. There's always more. So if nothing else this morning, I just want to provoke you that you will never have it all, even in heaven, because he's infinite and we're finite, and so we're going to keep growing into this stuff. But there's always more, and that should make you hungry for more of God. And so we need to grow into these things. So we have this idea of being saved, the Spirit of God is within us, and then we're baptized in the Spirit. And the baptism in the Holy Spirit is subsequent to and distinct from salvation. That's why Paul would ask that question. We see it again in chapter 8 where uh, the, the, you know, they're saved, but then later on they're baptized in the Spirit. The disciples came, laid hands on them, and they received. We see this several times. There's other times where people got saved and they received the baptism simultaneously, but the Spirit, there was an old-time Pentecostal preacher who used to put it this way, the Spirit only comes on Jesus. He came on Jesus at Jesus' baptism, and that's the only one he comes on ever since. He's got to be in you for him to, the Spirit to come upon you. And that's good preaching. And so there's this, this other dimension. Now, just real quick, for those, those of you theologians, scholarly people that that struggle. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And it says, we are all baptized in one spirit into one body. And a lot of people look at that. A lot of cessationists will camp out on that verse. A lot of, there, there are a lot of evangelicals that believe in a baptism in the Holy Spirit. But they say that verse proves that you are saved and baptized in the Spirit at the same time. Now, let me, let me quote it again. Paul said, you are baptized in one spirit into one's bo one body. 
in one spirit, into one body. And they're saying, obviously, when you're baptized into the body, if you're baptized in the spirit into the body, that must be salvation. Does that make sense? I'll tell you why that is not true. Boy, I'm going to get into it this morning. I almost feel like we need to pray again. When John the baptizer said of Jesus, he said, what I do with water, the one coming after me, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, he will do with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now, whenever I quote that and you add that fire part, it just doesn't sound right to say the Holy Spirit and fire. It just sounds better. Holy Ghost and fire, doesn't it? Holy Ghost and fire. So what he's doing is he's giving us this analogy. He's saying, what I do with water, it's really like a parable. A parable, the word parable literally means to throw alongside. The idea is that we're going to throw the physical alongside the spiritual. God's ways are higher than our ways. We don't understand the kingdom of God. We don't understand spiritual realities. So what does God do? He graciously says the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who casts seed. Understand farming, you get insight into the kingdom. It's what John's doing. He said, what I do with water... He will do with the Holy Ghost and fire. So look at what I do with water, study that, observe that, and it'll give you insight into what the one coming after me, Jesus, does with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John would baptize them in water into repentance, right? So all through Scripture, let me give you, I didn't plan on getting into this, but we're going to go for it. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance or into repentance. Christian baptism is different. It, it, they took their signals from John, but there's an added dimension. Chapter 6 of Romans tells us Christian baptism is in water into Christ's death. All baptism has an in and an into. You're baptized in a substance into an experience. John's baptism in the substance of water into the experience of repentance. Christian baptism, Romans 6, into or in water, again, into the experience of Christ's death. The baptism in the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, you're baptized in, into. In the Spirit, that's the substance, you come up dripping, saturated with the Spirit of God. That alone ought to make you happy. But there's an into to this thing as well. You're in the Spirit, into what? The body of Christ the experience of the body of Christ. And because we don't see this, there is a dimension to the baptism of the Spirit that has been left unseized by the body of Christ. There are treasures there that we haven't realized that are available to us. But the key is this. Baptism is always in a substance into something you've already entered into. Baptism is the sealing after the fact. Let me show you. 
You remember when John was baptizing in water into repentance and some of the Pharisees come and said, hey, baptize me too. He said, you brood of vipers, you bring forth works meet for repentance. In other words, you show me it's a reality in your life and then I'll seal it through baptism because I won't baptize you into something unless it's already true in your life. Everybody agree with me? Am I making sense? Water baptism. We don't believe in baptismal regeneration. What that means is we don't believe that putting someone in water makes them saved. We only baptize people into Christ's death if that's already a reality in their life. It's an outward manifestation of an inward reality. We're going to baptize them into this experience for others to see what's already been a reality in their life. So John wouldn't baptize someone in water into repentance unless they were already repentant. The New Testament church and the modern church, we don't baptize people in water into Christ's death unless they're already in Christ's death. And Jesus doesn't baptize anybody in the spirit into the body of Christ unless they are already there. What it does, it awakens us to this reality of the body of Christ. That's why that verse is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's all about the gifts from the Spirit. We've, we've pounded on this one over the last couple of years. There are the gifts from the Father in Romans 12. There are the gifts from the Son in Ephesians 4. But the gifts from the Spirit of God show up in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. The gifts of Jesus, we we run into them as we avail ourselves of these governing gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But the gifts of the Spirit are awakened in us through that baptism in the Spirit and that the gift that you begin to function in or the gifts that you begin to function in assign you a place in the body so that you can function and do your part. That's why that's so important. This shared life of the Spirit Binds us together. They say blood is thicker than water. Well, spirit is thicker than blood. Man, before my brother John got saved, I was much closer to my believing brothers than my unsaved brother. We just didn't have anything in common except our blood and a history that my, uh, which mine died and was buried. And so this baptism in the spirit it were awakened to our place in the body of Christ. And this whole thing we've been talking about the last few weeks about the love of God, one of the expressions of the baptism of the Spirit is the love of God. Matter of fact, let's, let's look at it from this perspective. Jesus' baptism. When Jesus went down in the water, in biblical theology, the biblical model, Jesus as our great example... He went down in the water, was buried, and he came up in newness of life. He didn't have a sinful life to lay under that water, but a self-life. And from then on, he was led by the Spirit. He went down and, and he said, I must, the King James Version says this in an awkward way, I must needs fulfill all of righteousness. Jesus said, I've got to be baptized. He went down in the water. It's a burial. He comes up. And then the Spirit came upon him, and he was led of the Spirit from then on. 
But in actuality, there were three distinct manifestations that happened in Jesus' baptism. Remember, he went down in the water. He came up, and what does it say? It says, the heavens opened. Then the dove descended in bodily form upon him. The spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And then the father spoke, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. I want to say that's Luke. Matthew, no, Matthew says, you are, this is my son. And Luke says, you are my son. That, that's fascinating to me. That the crowd heard one thing and Jesus heard another and both were important. The crowd heard, this is my son. Jesus heard, you are my son. And when the Spirit comes on you, both will happen. There's a witness for you, but there's also a witness for others. That other people recognize something on your life and a change in your life that assigns to you your place in the body. But we have these three facets of the baptism of the Spirit when the Spirit comes upon Jesus. And all three need to be true for us. And we need to contend. So the question this morning is not merely, have you received the Spirit since you believed? The question becomes, are you walking in all three dimensions of that expression, that, that experience? You could put it this way. It's, you, can, you can look throughout the New Testament. There, one of the graces that are imparted to us through the Spirit is, um, what's the old song uh, by Rich Mullins? Our God is an awesome God with wisdom, power, and love. Rich didn't just pull those out of thin air. There is a logic to those three things because all three of those show up as expressions of the spirit of the anointing of grace on our life. There is, we Pentecostals like to talk about the power, wisdom, power, and love. We talk about the power to be a witness and, and that is true and that's good. But there's also the love and that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. In the, the, when the spirit comes upon us, the spirit is the spirit of sonship or the spirit of adoption by which he causes us to say, Abba, Father. He bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. It, Romans 5 puts it this way. That's all Romans 8. Romans 5 says, it's by the spirit the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. That is a dimension of the love of, of the baptism of the Spirit. It's what Jesus experienced in the voice. You are my son or daughter. And that is one of the primary ministries of the Spirit of God. And so it's not a matter of just have you spoken tongues? But are you really have you really been impacted by the love of God so that you view yourself as the one whom Jesus loved? And if that isn't a reality in your life, I'm telling you, it's available to you and you need to ask and keep on asking until it is. And whether we're talking about wisdom, power, or love, there, there is such a thing as the impartation of wisdom. Solomon got it. In a dream, he has a prophetic encounter, and God says, you can have anything you ask for, and he wisely says, give me wisdom. In Scripture, Solomon would later on write that with wisdom comes riches and fame. 
And God says, because you didn't ask for victory over your enemies, because you didn't ask for riches, Solomon asked for the whole deal. He woke up the wisest man that ever lived. There was an impartation of what That can happen. I've known of people receiving a foreign language in a second. I wish that would happen to me. I want Spanish. I really do. I bought the CDs. They're on my computer and they're still sitting there. They, there's just been no impartation with them being there. I don't know. You know I, I thought it would just happen as I'd type. Somehow it'd find its way up my fingertips or something. But, but I've known people. I, I knew of one guy. I didn't know him personally, but Leanne knew him personally, Leanne Goff, that uh, he, was, he was down in a Latin American country, went on a missions trip. At the end of the trip, everybody's going home. He said, I'm not leaving. I'm staying. And everybody's like, you, you know, you can't really do that. Well, I, no one's making me go. I've, I've got to stay here. He's just so burdened for the. I want to say it was Guatemala. I'm not sure. And uh, he was out street witnessing, giving out Spanish tracts. And uh, he's giving a tract to an elderly Latino man who is weeping and speaking to him in Spanish. And he's weeping, speaking to him in English. And they're trying to read to each other. They're both crying. And finally, this missionary just fell on his knees and says, God, you've got to help me to communicate. El nombre Jesucristo. You know, he just goes right. In, that's all I know. He went right into Spanish, man. It was awesome. He still speaks Spanish. Married a gal down there and they're still missionaries. But that's the exception and not the rule. Wisdom, there are times where we can have impartations of wisdom, flashes of wisdom, a word of wisdom. Uh, uh, you know, but more often than not, it's a process by which we avail ourselves to the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and God instructs us. It's not either or. It's not an impartation or a process. It's both. Man, I'm, I'm like praying for both. You know, I want, I'd like the impartation, but I'm pressing in, in the process, in the process. The same is true of love. We grow in love, but there are times where there is impartation of love. Leif Hetland's a great example of that, what came on his life. Power, the same thing. You can grow in power. You steward it. You cultivate it. You learn to operate in the power of God. But there also is that moment in time where the power of God comes on you in the baptism in the Spirit. There's a lot of people who have received the Spirit but never learned to really walk in power. Even Jesus, it says, when he went down in the water and he came up, it says, the heavens opened, the dove descended, the Father spoke, and it said, immediately he was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. It says he was full of the, he was driven full of the Spirit into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested of the enemy. And then it says, as he, ca he came out in the power of the Spirit. It was the testing time that established what he experienced in the river under the open heaven was established in the testing time. There are a lot of people who receive in the op under the open heaven in the river. We, we get touched in service, but we fail to allow it to be established in the testing time during the week. And we pass those tests and God's establishing something so we can walk in the power. So there's this impartation, but there's also a process. And all of this has to do with different dimensions to our walk with God. 
And so the question is, are you walking in wisdom, power, and love? Maybe you've, you've really seen some movement on the power of God and maybe you're, you're praying for people and you're seeing them healed and there's, there's been a real release of power. Are you walking in love? Or maybe you're, you, you, you've noticed there, the people around you. It's like I told you a couple weeks ago. My wife, she said, you know, since you've been having these prayer meetings, you're easier to live with. And I didn't know whether, how to take that. Part of me, I thought, thank you, Jesus. I mean, if anybody's going to tell me that, I want to hear it from her. Last, well, it was two weeks ago, I, I put a sport coat on and tucked my shirt in. I was walking out the door for Sunday service. I said, Kath, what do you think? Well, I said, what? Does it look like I got a gut? Well, I said, hey, I'd rather you say it than someone think it, okay? I went up and got my shirt. I told someone this morning, I... This, uh, st- this fashion of untucking your shirt came at a very fortunate time in my anatomical development. <laughs> Can hide a lot under there. But it's the ones you love the most and you're closest to. They'll be the honest ones with you. She told me, she said, you're easier to live with. You're just more tender. And part of me, I- I'm serious, it-, it-, it convicted me. I thought, I don't think she was saying I was really hard to live with, but she just said there's, there's different and kind of grieved me and blessed me at the same time, thinking, man, Lord, did I waste those years? I wish I'd have been that for my wife earlier. I believe God, by his grace, is causing me to grow in love by being in his presence. I'd like an impartation so I can get there quicker, but in the meantime, I'm going after this thing. Are we allowing the Lord to tenderize our heart? Are we growing in wisdom? Are we growing in power? There's always more in God. God wants us to hunger for more, and he wants to give us more. And often, it is a process and not so much an event. Matter of fact, I would tell you, that the people that I've, the, the testimonies I've heard about these people that they receive this powerful impartation, whether it's Heidi Baker or Leif Hetland or, you know, a number of others, but they're the, probably the two most famous ones that I think of when it comes to impartation. There were years and months of just crying out. And what we look at as an event was really a, there was pro, a preliminary process of God doing a work in their heart. He was enlarging their heart to receive what they were hungering for. I'm telling you, there's more in God. And God wants you to operate in more wisdom, power, and love. Wisdom is heaven's strategy for your life, every facet of your life. Power is heaven's ability for every facet of your life. God doesn't want to just anoint you merely to pray for the sick. He wants to anoint you to be a good employee. He wants to anoint you to uh, be a good dad, a good mom, a good mechanic, whatever, fill in the blank. And love is heaven's motive, so we do it from the right place. But God wants to give that to us. And I'm telling you, there is more in God. Paul asked those disciples... Have you received the Spirit since you believed? Are you walking in wisdom? 
Or are you limited to your own grasp of what's going on in life? I'm telling you, God wants to step in and make up the difference. Are you walking in greater love? If you are, you feel like you're impatient, you're just at the end of your rope, you are a prime candidate because God's power is made perfect in your weakness. God wants to meet us where we're at. I remember when I was, go ahead and stand so you know I'm going to quit. My, uh, I, when I was, I was in uh, Teen Challenge, I was a student and there was a precious man of God by the name of Lou Selzer. And Lou's, Lou had an interesting way of communicating. He would always emphasize a strange place when he was talking. He would just do that. I, but he was brilliant and that man was a man of the spirit. And he came to me one day and he, he counseled me for a few minutes. He said, I feel the Lord wants you to pray and ask him about that verse in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, about his strength is made perfect in our weakness. He said, the Lord wants to show you something. And I went back and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, and lo and behold, God spoke to me. And it was the first time that I knew, wow, I mean, he showed me something. This is, this is amazing. I didn't even doubt. It was because I knew I didn't come up with this one. And I was as excited about that as I was about the answer he gave me. And what he showed me was this. He showed me a picture of a glass of water. And it was almost full, about this far from the top. And then he showed me another glass. And it was almost empty. It just had a little water in the bottom. And he told me I was the second glass. He told me, you're weak. And he said... But because you're weak, there's a whole lot more room for me to move in your life. There's, a, there's room for me to fill up your cup. If you were already full of your own strength, I couldn't move. So what that tells us is we need to make a habit of pursuing weakness. We need to find, find those places of weakness and park there and say, God, this is where I want to meet you. And in fact, God very well may want to build his greatest expression in your life in the area of your weakness. That your biggest struggle becomes your biggest testimony. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that your strength, your power is made perfect in our weakness. And Lord, we thank you that you take the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And that makes us candidates. We, we willingly embrace those areas of our life, Lord, and we ask, land there, Father. Express yourself there. Now, Lord, as we've gotten into the word this morning, I ask that you would brood over us, and Lord, that your word would go deep and it would begin to probe our heart, and Lord, provoke hunger. Lord, provoke hope that there is more that you long to give to us. Lord, open the eyes of our understanding. Deliver us from that. Deliver us from satisfied Christianity. Let us live with a sense of divine dissatisfaction, always hungry for more. 
And Lord, we're asking, reveal yourself to us. Give us more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.